G'day everyone, my name is Tom Craig and you're listening to my podcast, The Help Side, where we speak to some of the most recognisable names in world hockey and get an insight into who they are, what they're about and what makes them tick. Now if you like what you hear, feel free to follow our socials at The Help Side on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook and be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. We'd absolutely love that. This week, I'm delighted to have hockey room midfielder Jane Claxton on the show. Now, Jane comes from some pretty good hockey stock. Listeners of the show and followers of Hockey in Australia might recognise the name Claxton from this year's class of Hockey Australia Life member inductees, her father Bob being awarded the honour as recognition of a lifetime of service to hockey. Boasting 183 games across two World Cups, two Commonwealth Games and Olympics and having held the honour of previously captaining her country, Jane has come to be recognised as one of Australia's most consistent performers. Your prototypical general of the midfield, Jane can regularly be heard barking orders and encouragement to her teammates. She's one of those presences that you just love to have on your team. You'll find Jane to be the consummate professional and her achievements and success in the green and gold of the hockey ruse really won't come as a surprise after hearing what it takes for her to perform at the highest level. Jane takes us on her voyage from coming up through the ranks in Adelaide to what it's really like to represent your country, including some elements that people don't often talk about. With the highs of playing for your country come inevitable lows and hard times that don't always make the front page, but remain part and parcel of the gig. And Jane openly shares her story of navigating the pitfalls of elite sport. One aspect of international sport is the joy of traveling the world. And with this comes a roomie. And Jane reveals that she might not be at the top of everyone's most desirable roomie list. You'll find Jane to be smart, articulate, and the embodiment of an elite athlete. Please enjoy the help side of Jane Claxton. Current Hockey Roo, Jane Claxton, and in fact, 2020 Hockey Roo's Player of the Year, I believe. Yeah, you are correct. Thank you. Yeah, it was a huge honour. Very cool. And co-shared, actually, I should mention, with Caitlin Nobbs. Yeah, sorry, yeah, with Caitlin Nobbs, yeah. Is that the first time? Legendary Caitlin Nobbs coming from um, two previous Olympic parents. So very in good company. Good stock. Um, Has that ever happened before? Like not, not the, in not my the not in breeding of a of a, another sports star <laughs> between two two great sports people, but I mean, yeah, that's quite quite common. <laughs> yeah, um, that is common. No, not in not in my past uh, what seven and a half years. We have, there hasn't been a shared um, award. No, so yeah, okay, okay. And we're back on the Zoom this week. Um, Second hockey roo to be interviewed, current crop of hockey roos. Um, and I guess it's a bit different. I try and keep the show kind of current so that you can listen to it at any stage, but we are going through some stuff at the moment with COVID, mm. etc. And you're back in Perth with the resumption of training after a few months off. Um, how is it to be back? And you're not really back at the moment, are you? No, it's like an abbreviated <laughs> back. Um, I guess we're a lot more fortunate than everywhere else in the country. Um, Perth. I stayed in Perth because Perth is somewhat my home now. I didn't go back to Adelaide where I'm originally based. Um, Also due to the fact my parents have semi-moved over here. Um, So they had actually moved over before COVID, got caught here and then ended up being like, oh, we'll purchase a house then and stay here and be 100 metres from your house and (laughs) drop in all the time. (laughs) Wow, okay. After not living at home, after after not living at home for like seven years, that was hard to get used to, but I do really actually love them being here all the time. They take care of the dogs when I'm at work and stuff. Anyway, 
sidetracked. Um, That's great. So are you yeah, like another training. room of their house or is it like, yeah, yeah, or is there, are there actually, are there well, boundaries? Yeah, like, it's like reversed now. So like when you were a kid, you'd come home, eat all the food that your parents bought. Mm. Now it's like <laughs> they come to my house and take my stuff and I come home and I'm like, hey, uh, do you know where the milk went? And they're like, oh, we ran out. Or do you know where all my tools went? Because I'm trying to fix something. Oh, yeah, I took them. I'm like, oh, great. What is, is happening in my life? Um, nah. But yeah, Perth training environment. Um, I, yeah, it hasn't really stopped for us in Perth. So we've mm. been pretty fortunate in the fact that the girls that did stay, I think it was six of us in the end, we didn't really have a pause moment. It was mm. like training slowed down a bit, but def- and it didn't, there wasn't a competitive period there like most states. But we pretty much ticked over every week having some sort of training. Um, if, if it was like running based rather than being on the turf, because I think there was maybe three or four weeks there where we weren't on the turf. Um, so we did running program, which I love because I just love running, which is, I think some people find a bit weird, but <laughs> I have like a running background as a young kid. And so it was really cool programming myself and doing different running programs and going trail running and stuff like that. So we did that kind of block. And then we did a return to play block where we all, returned to the pitch and started training again and graduated through that non-competitive to competitive and then mm. club hockey started. So um, been very fortunate in Perth yeah. for that, that continuity. Like um, the girls in Victoria have kind of ridden the roller coaster. And yeah. so, yeah, it's been really good. For sure. For sure. I'm going to come back to the, um, to the running background because um, I have this issue a bit with, um, <laughs> hockey players is that there's not a lot of information out there so you have to do yeah. some digging from some different sources so we're going to come back to that later but um, yeah, just yeah. on the running for now obviously well it was a time where um, because as you say there wasn't maybe access to a pitch or something so I feel like a lot of elite athletes got into um, running and I know mm. that there were some like Strava scores that were posted <laughs> online that um, were pretty I sharp. I stopped looking at Strava. Hey, it was I addicting, got addicted. wasn't it? Yeah. I was like comparing. I started following in like international players and being like, "Oh, they're running that. I'm gonna try to do that tomorrow." <laughs> and like, I'm just like the most competitive person I think that currently exists in the world. And so, like, I tried to do like anything to get like that competitive <laughs> edge over people. Um, and so I formulated the whole 5k time trial in our hockey ruse group just to what basically wanting to beat people. <laughs> yeah. Wait, wasn't that for a charity? Wasn't um, some no, that sort was of... a 2K. That was a 2K. Ah, okay. But um, I did okay. a separate running challenge. Only gotcha. I think a few girls really took it up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it was really fun. I found it incredibly rewarding considering it was because um, you won did you have the fastest yeah. time oh yeah i know and it's always fun <laughs> what can you reveal what sort of what sort of times are we clocking here over two and 5k uh i think 5k so i was going for a sub 20 5k for my like goal during covid mm. so i ended up getting a 1945 nice. which i actually did during doing a mono fart leg which for those non-runners out there is named after the Steve Monaghetti, which is, he's an ex-marathon runner for Australia. Amazing guy. Love him. Um, and it's just a uh, fart like running where you're continuously running and you kind of vary your speed to either, um, and I wanted to do a five kilometre fart leg for that. And it's a 20 minute set. So by doing that, you get your 5k PB mm. um, basically. And so 
Um, that's how I got mine. And that's what um, you did. So you, you slowed it right down or what do you kind of slow to pace wise? No, so I, on my onset, so you do two sets of ni- uh, 90 seconds, four sets of 60, four sets of 30, four sets of 15, fairly sure. Um, and so my onsets um, were set at 3.45 pace and my offsets were set at 4.10 pace. Yeah, okay. So that's just the variance. That's rapid. Um, and so... I think because I'm a, I'm a hockey player by nature and we're used to doing a lot of that fart leg type running, it's like on, off, on, 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 off. I really struggle holding a steady pace. And so mm. I kind of thought I need to find a way of like being able to kind of adjust my pace as I run, but still at the end achieve what I want to. So yeah, that's, that's cool. at the end of the day. Um, awesome. <laughs> the 2K time trial, which was actually through Bolt for Gold, great organisation. Um, they set up a challenge where the community could kind of challenge a hockey roo and see how they compared against a hockey roo to win um, a prize. And for that, I think I got s- seven minutes. Yeah, seven minutes on the dot. Yeah, so. Rapid. What's Bolt for Gold about? Bolt for Gold is a an app largely and it's I guess a bit like Strava in the fact you can clock what uh, kilometres you're doing but it's almost like a um, you challenge other people to beat your score and so there will be a set race I think previously they've done like maybe 100 metres and it's like who can get the quickest 100 metres and um, in like maybe a week period and then at the end whoever's on top kind of wins the monetary prize um, but yeah they're looking to do a lot more stuff with the Hockey Roos and Kookaburras so we exciting to see um you know what they have in store for us great very cool okay we're gonna go back Mm -hmm. to um what's happening this year so obviously it's no secret the olympics have been postponed until next year but things are being run a little bit different with hockey australia in 2020 whereby there's kind of this super camp at the end of the year which is kind of Mm -hmm. is it a bit different to how things would usually run or um, different in the fact that I guess the Super Camp replaces our National League, um, so Hockey One League. Uh, that's where they usually select the next year's squad from. And so because of that, obviously, that's not going ahead this year. Um, they had to replace it with some type of selection uh, game or games. Um, I don't know how it's going to go in terms of inviting people to Perth and getting them over here and logistically with the two-week two week quarantine and um, then return to play and then actually being part of the camp. That's just an ever-evolving thing, but I'm just planning that it's going ahead um, as the optimist I am. And so, yeah, um, yeah, I think it's it's going to be like a week-long camp where we just play a lot of interest squad games, um, whether there's adjustments in the squad, who knows, because obviously, as you said, this year has been a bit crazy and so some squads have been training, some haven't. Um, but it'll be interesting to see. I think we're really on the verge heading into this year. With we had a lot of juniors kind of knocking on the door, but not knocking very loudly. <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, and I think this extra year has probably given them a lot of time to develop, mature, become better hockey players. So it'll be really interesting to see how much gain they've made in this period and see if yeah they can really make the next step into the squad. Mm, okay, so you reckon this postponement might have been a, a good thing for the team? Yeah, I've actually viewed it from the start as quite a good thing for us. I think we had a lot of girls, um, uh, I guess the theory is that you have to be like what between your first 50 games is just like you're on the field with your head cut off running around. 
not exactly, but you feel out of place. You don't feel like you've um, really earned, not earned your stripes, but feel comfortable out there and feel like you can um, inject your strengths. And so, so we had a lot of girls in that category. And I think this past this year, even though we're not playing games, it's actually allowed them to become a lot more comfortable in an elite athlete environment and mature and become more robust athletes. And so for us, having such a younger team this year has really, I think, helped us and played into our favour and the fact that those girls get to develop and we have like a, a better base to build from, I guess. Mm. Seems like a pretty powerful mindset. I know that, um, mm. especially with individual sports, it seems that the postponement might take a little bit more of a toll, but um how did you deal with it was it it sounds like you're okay with it basically yeah I think I'm very good at compartmentalizing a lot of aspects of my life like one if one thing's not going well it doesn't affect the other part of my life um and I was really really fortunate that the start of this year I actually got offered a full-time or was a part-time role at the start of the year as an occupational therapist and so once all of, I guess, the COVID stuff happened, I just refocused my life to being an OT and that being the more dominant sphere, I guess, um, in my life now. Obviously, I still love hockey and um, it's, a great, um, it's a great aspect of my life and I still engage in it heavily. It's just I've been very fortunate to be able to have something else. And I think a lot of athletes heading into an Olympic year probably narrowed down to single focus, single mindset, which is definitely understandable. I can't do that personally because I just end up imploding and because I'm just, I can't just focus on one thing. I almost like being busy and um, overdoing it sometimes. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think I was very fortunate that I have that mindset and so I could re re really easily just push my thoughts to another area um, but obviously a lot of other athletes went into this year being full bore olympic mode that's my focus and so yeah as you can tell there's been a few people struggling with what's next and how mm. to fill this gap mm -hmm. we're going to get to the uh the ot side of things later because i know as you say that's a that's a big part of your life and i'm very interested to talk about that but um you mentioned you're from adelaide and um, Adelaide has a very proud history, particularly in the in the women's program. But they are a bit of a breeding ground for good hockey players, but perhaps not so much recently in the in the very recent past. Um, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about the the scene in Adelaide? And I know it's quite big in the country. Like I was surprised to learn, yeah, that yeah. a lot of towns have hockey fields quite randomly. Yeah, but, it's crazy. It's it's definitely more of like a country dominant sport in Adelaide, and a lot of the talent comes from the country and. Um, obviously they migrate into the city for uni and once they've graduated high school and that's when they, um, I guess, enter into the city comp. But most definitely I think our strength comes from the country areas and regions. Um, often they dominate when we have um, regional competitions within South Australia. A lot of the country teams um, win, win out just because, yeah, they have the facilities and they train regularly on turfs and things like that. Um, but in terms of my, I was very, very fortunate and I always recognise the fact that when I was developing and coming through the South Australian Sports Institute, I had people like Holly Evans, Elise Stacey, Deanne Gilbert, goalkeeper, ex-hockey roo as well, um, Bianca Joyce, a lot of those girls that were pushing or knocking on the door to be in the hockey roos, I was training with and they were four or five years older than me, so kind of set a really great training environment. Um, so, yeah, as you said, we had a heap of girls 
um, coming out of SA, getting into the hockey roos or moving to Perth and being the development program and really pushing to the next level. And I really, my hockey really benefited from that at the end of the day. Um, uh, But yeah, unfortunately um, for, I guess, the uh, age group below me or the people that I guess stepped into Sassy when I left, they probably didn't have those older girls that hung around and could drive the training environment. And so maybe that's where the deficit has happened. Um, and you see it across the country. Um, each state comes in waves um, in terms of the um, talent they're producing, um, the amount of girls or boys um, being transitioning to the um, national program. And I guess that's the downside of having a centralised national program is that sometimes you forsake the development in your own states. Um, and the national program ends up paying at the end of the day because they don't have that depth to draw on when you get injuries or retirements. And so um, by all means, I think SASE, especially the women's program, has actually really picked picked up in recent periods, especially over the last two years, since the girls have gotten older, gotten more mature, entering into that senior age group. There's definitely at least three girls coming through that have been in the junior Australian um, development program and definitely can make that transition to the senior program um, given the amount of if they can get the amount of exposure to senior hockey um, but yeah as I said it's I think it's more because we have that centralized program we remove those older more mature heads in those institute environments away from that um, which obviously needs to be done in order for us to be cohesive at the top level but yeah, you kind of forsake that development at an institute level. I'm going to stop myself from asking whether you think that's the best way to do it in Australia, but um, let's go back to, unless you want to answer that. <laughs> oh, I don't have a, I, I don't like, it's much of a muchness. I don't have the solution. And I, Australia is so big at the end of the day, you can't compare us to Europe. And it's so like, I hate when people do that. Like, why don't we just play club system and then um, travel around Australia? I'm like, that's not practical. Like, Flights are like $500 to get to Perth. I'm not flying there for a weekend game. <laughs> so it's just so hard to find the golden bullet in terms of development and creating a great platform for your senior team to draw on. So, yeah, and especially obviously going beyond Tokyo, what's going to happen um, is the big question. I think that's in a lot of athletes' minds in hockey at the moment. Mm. And so, um yeah, definitely will be interesting the next 12 months. Mm. Can you just explain a little bit about what the, what what that's about? Um, yeah, yeah. So obviously um, having a centralised program is has a high monetary output and there is a lot that in resources that go into maintaining that and keeping the program running. And at the end of the day, there's not an endless money pit for us to draw on. And so they definitely do need to think of solutions in terms of how are we going to be the most economical but still win medals and still be successful. And so there's, I guess, two different theories that we maintain a centralised program and just um, either cull the amount that are in the squad or have a different setup where you have more in development um, and less in the actual program being um, receiving funding or you go the decentralised and you go into major hubs where you have maybe a Queensland hub a uh, Victoria hub and then a, a hub somewhere else, whether it be WASANT, and people can join those hubs and train with other people relocating to those hubs. Um, 
it's or we just relocate the whole centralized program to the east coast which i'm sure a lot of east coast people want um and it's just so hard because relocating that many resources you're like well you're going to spend a lot of money doing it um but will it have more benefit longer term because there's you know different resources to draw on on the east coast because there's so many more things happening and the AIS is actually based there so can you draw on their facilities so there's so many aspects I guess involved and I think so many different parties have so many different views that I think someone's going to get pissed off <laughs> at the end result <laughs> so I'm kind of really easy going about it I don't care where I live um, as long as I get to see my loved ones every now and then I'm pretty okay with it sure okay well there's a bit of politics there but the the most pressing yeah. question for me is i know there's this kind of east coast west coast dichotomy <laughs> but where does uh where does adelaide fit into that <laughs> yeah we're like switzerland uh, south coast what do you guys call yourself uh and like no yeah i don't know we just call ourselves sa or just kind of like um, a neutral party and just don't yeah don't we're just a neutral party like just a commentator. i've always been the idea of why don't we just all come together and meet in the middle and have it in sa <laughs> or darwin apparently that's not a viable option um <laughs> no but it would be awesome uh upgrade all the facilities there um there's already a few national programs based in terms of sports out of sa but um yeah i know that um, Victoria and New South Wales won't let us win that fight. So, yeah. <laughs> Usually in a fight between New South Wales and Victoria, it ends up in Canberra. So that might be... Yeah, I know. And I'm like, no one wants to live in Canberra. <laughs> Sorry, Canberrians. <laughs> yeah, my brother just moved to Canberra. Anyway, um, okay. So back to back to hockey in Adelaide. Um, you are a kid once. What was, mm -hmm. what was childhood like for you? Um, yeah. And for those that don't know my family and... Most people wouldn't, but um, my dad is a huge, huge hockey fan um, and player and supporter and everything. And Hall of Fame. Oh, life member. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, life you go, you go. Hockey Australia. No, <laughs> yeah, sorry, yeah. Yeah, he just got um, inducted as a life member to Hockey Australia, so that probably speaks volumes in terms of his contribution to hockey, not on the field. Um, he definitely is a player and he's still a player, even though I tell him from a health practitioner perspective, it is dangerous for him to play hockey because he has like two hip replacements and whatever. He's stubborn like me. Um, but yeah, we got into hockey because of dad. He um, played every weekend. We were going along as kids. And so we just kind of graduate, graduated into it. Played. I played with my brother from the start because you have mixed underage. And so mum found it great just taking us both, dumping us there and, you know, catching up with their friends. Um, so, yeah, we got into it at a young age and Dad obviously harboured that interest by um, at home, you know, chucking balls at us, all of that type of stuff that you do in the backyard. Um, so, yeah, young Jane actually quit hockey, um, maybe at, as a 10-year-old because I hated playing with the boys because all they would do is hit the living shit out of the ball and I was just like, what's the point? They don't pass to me. And so... <laughs> I went and played netball, don't know why, because I always got contacted out. So I'd be the person standing next to the person passing the ball because I'd always like not hit people, but I was just very competitive. <laughs> so that didn't, sport didn't suit me. And so I quickly returned to hockey about a year or two after that. I think those two years I probably became 
the least favourite child in our family because dad just was all about hockey. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, my childhood was definitely full of hockey. Um, I didn't, uh, I never have had a period where I've hated hockey for some strange reason. I think some kids go through that, especially when they have parents really invested in the sport, but I just, I never did. It always seemed fun to me. I always liked it. And even having dad as a coach through a lot of my junior career and then sometimes my mum, I still didn't get that love of the game, didn't get detracted at all, which looking back on it is pretty surprising considering a lot of kids um, do tend to move away from a sport that's maybe really intense in their family. But, yeah, I kind of loved it. Mm. Um, It seems to be... A consistent theme it's a it's a very family oriented sport and um sure. seems like you you just kind of like being around the, the ground and at the place and mm. that sort of thing yeah. you're from uh burnside i believe had a, Burn- had a brief yeah, stint at, at grange royal beforehand and then yeah to burnside. <laughs> yeah yeah so, so dad's first hockey club was grange royals and that's where i um i started all my junior stuff um, and then we um, moved, and so we moved hockey clubs to Burnside. Me and my brother played for different clubs. Um, there is a story behind that. So um, when I was returning to play hockey from my little sabbatical, um, I approached <laughs> my brother's club called, um, I don't know, if I, yeah, I'll mention it, Adelaide Hockey Club. And we approached them and go, oh, Jane's interested in playing. Can she come play in your under-13s team? And they said, no, sorry, we don't have enough room. So, yeah, we can't have her. <laughs> And dad was like, fine. And he was like outraged that anyone would turn down a Claxton. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we approached which is pretty much down the road. And they said, yeah, um, come along. Um, come to training. We're open. Have heaps of space. And so, yeah, as they say, the rest was history. Well, it seems that's a, that's another theme. I mean, we spoke to Ava Dehuda a couple of weeks ago about her sabbatical and after her sabbatical she came back and was two-time world player of the year and after yours at the age of 10 you came back to play for the hockey ruse so very similar it's like very similar <laughs> it is a Me similar her, story like, <laughs> very much so now if you missed it last week we spoke to former kookaburra bob proctor and it was an absolute cracker Now, Bob's time with the national team was spent in an era where things were pretty different to how we know them today, and he's got some of the best yarns in the business, like this one. My first test was at um, Manningham on grass against the Dutch, and uh, I thought my career was over before it even started. The ball came through, and of course it was on grass. I went to kick the shit out of it, and the ball, (laughs) I think my head was like a goal shot, and my head went up in the air, and foot went this way the ball went that way and uh it it um it ended up uh, being a 16 i missed it in my first sort one and only test and then and then in the second half jimmy mason from queensland uh, was on the post and in those days you could the short corner hitter could put it anywhere mm. none of this back you know flicking Backboard it stuff. and tease cruz is the um world leading hard hitter at that particular time highest goal scorer in the 73 world cup he's come up meso's on the on the right post and i've gone out a couple of steps and the next minute he crack i've turned around to meso meso's looked at me and it's hit the post on the corner at shoulder height 
And by the time we'd both looked around, the ball was just going over the sideline. <laughs> and I said to Jimmy, I said, did you see that? He went, nope. <laughs> if it did, Jimmy, he was, he was a gonski. So that was my uh, introduction to international hockey. Um, and fortunately, that missed kick at the start of my career uh, didn't impound on future <laughs> selections. <laughs> More where that came from on episode 15 of The Help Side with Bob Proctor. Now, let's get back to Jane. And you said that you have a running background as well. How did that work into things? Yeah, so I guess during my, uh, when did I start? I did a little ass um, from oh, five years old and all the way through to maybe 15. Um, so I really loved athletics um, and I also did a lot of cross country and represented the state for cross country. Um, my dad was my running coach. Um, <laughs> I don't think he trusted anyone else to teach me a sport. <laughs> uh, so, and then I slowly transitioned to a more professional running coach. Um, the issue I guess I had in terms of not prolonging my athletics career is I got such bad anxiety pre-race like it was I'd be vomiting I'd just like I couldn't sleep the night before it was just my anxiety to perform in that race was just so crazy and Mm. so I got to a point where I was like oh like it's not fun it's just me being anxious all the time and so and team sports to me never provided that whilst I do get nervous it's like a different energy and it's um, more excitement and um, yeah indi- that individual aspect to the athletics kind of t- tore me down a little bit and so I had to um, I, once I got to high school I kind of toned down in terms of my athletics mm. um, training and stuff like that and started to really focus on being a hockey player mm. but um, yeah nice I heard uh, did you run against Anna Flanagan at one stage in your Youth? Yeah, I think we did. She said that and um, I don't remember it, but I think it was like I was a tiny child. Like <laughs> I think it would have been a very unfair race because <laughs> um, I think she was the height she was now when she was like 13 mm. um, and I looked like I probably was a five-year-old. Um, and gotcha. I think we did hurdles against each other and I was like leaping over the hurdles and she was like just taking little baby steps. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, yeah, I think it was actually very fair. That's okay. That's okay. There you go. Small world. Um, Okay. So moving on from little A's, the hockey Mm -hmm. progression, um, was it all reasonably smooth sailing for you working through the the state system and the like? Um, Yeah. As we like um, S South Australia, I guess, Compared to the states like Victoria and New South Queensland, which is very, um, there's heaps of competition, heaps of people turning up to trials. Not saying that like it's an easy ride to get into state teams for SA, but I guess um, definitely a lot easier when you compare it to other states. Um, We still had a lot of competition to get and you had to go to trials and things like that. But um, yeah, I guess I'm very fortunate in the fact that I don't know if I would have been as successful if I came from a larger state just because as a younger kid playing hockey I was really small um I didn't have that physical impact um so I don't think I would have made many of those state teams when I was younger um so many respects coming from a smaller state had benefited me in the long term um 
yeah, so I made my first state team, I think it was under 12s. Um, and yeah, relatively smooth sailing. I think the only hiccup I ever I had was when you get to under 16s and you do schoolgirls or schoolboys comp. Um, so attended the um, Australian 16s tournament. From there, you get selected in the Australian 16s schoolgirls team. Um, I didn't make that team. I was actually shadow and the other girl that was a shadow with me was Georgian Ann Scorn. <laughs> so I was really bummed we both were because actually we kind of knew each other because we grew up through state hockey together. Um, we were both pretty bummed we didn't get into the team because um, I guess at that age that's kind of the pinnacle of what you're aiming for. Um, ironically for Georgia, I think it was six months later, she then gets selected to be in the hockey room and debuts at the age I think it was 17 um, she'd turned by then um, and so I saw that and I was immediately like wow it really whilst I think at the time I thought this was the be all and end all and if I didn't make this school girls team I was not going to progress um, that mindset quickly turned around seeing Georgia progress so rapidly into the senior program so yeah that was a hard time but it quickly turned quite um, into a positive knowing that there is still hope for me in the future. <laughs> um, yeah, I think you get real dramatic when you're younger. Um, so, so, yeah, so by that stage, you knew that you wanted to play for the hockey Heroes. Do you remember? Uh, that? Yeah, definitely. I was in okay. institute, a training environment yeah. by then. And yeah, I was around girls that were pushing to get into the senior team or were and were already playing. And so I definitely that by that time had a clear goal of wanting to play for the hockey Heroes. I think that didn't, come about until potentially that age group because I hadn't really come across um, international type sport or mm. uh, wasn't like within my grasp, I guess what I'm saying. And so, yeah, I, I wasn't someone that kind of from the get go wanted to be a hockey route and had all these idols and had posters in my room, like definitely being in a hockey family, you know, that they exist and that you watch them, but I never thought that was going to be me. Um, I knew I wanted to play a sport at an international level, but I didn't know what it was going to be until um, around that 16 age. So that's what I always tell little kids is that like, it's not, you don't have your eyes or heart set on something from such a young age because it may turn out that you do the exact opposite or you go into a different sport and you progress maybe into a career that's not in a sporting industry but something that you're really successful at don't pigeonhole yourself so early that that if that fails then your whole life fails or not that dramatic but you know like it's I feel like kids get like pigeonholed real early into just doing one sport whereas I tried I think a million different sports and um, engaged in so many different environments that it was never on my mind to be an Australian hockey roo um, mm you kind of I guess graduate high school and you're like okay what now <laughs> and you're not doing school sport and things like that so yeah it was probably not the typical um graduate to the hockey ruse but yeah definitely um probably had a smoother sale um going through the state ranks um I had my first taste of I guess international um representation when I made the Jillaroos which is the junior version of the hockey ruse. So it's on um, now it's under 23s. At, during my time, it was under 21s. Um, so I made that, I think, at the age of 19. 
Um, I went on a few tours and then I went to the Junior World Cup. But that at the same time I was going to the Junior World Cup, I was actually going to the Senior World Cup in that same year. So it was <laughs> quite funny because I'd made the hockey ruse um, once I turned 20. Um, and so that year was quite hectic in the fact that I was a leader in the junior group, but like fresh, fresh hockey route going to a World Cup. Um, in 2014? In, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, that transition was kind of funny. Um, yeah, so, yeah, um, as I said before, I'm, I made my transition to the senior team at age 20, which um, was quite smooth, I think, in comparison to a lot of girls. They probably get well into um, their senior level hockey um, before they transition, but I kind of made the transition out of 18s into under 21s and then into the senior group. So I'm very fortunate in that fact that it was quite a good progression for me. Um, moved over to Perth as everyone does at the age of 20. Um, and I think I adapted pretty well. Um, I haven't actually been home much in my seven years I've been here. I think I've only been home four or five times. Um, so I really made a life in Perth and I think that's crucial for anyone that's making that transition or any guys or girls making that transition to a centralised program in any sport is make that place your home and make it, make it livable rather than always wishing you were somewhere else because that detracts, I think, from your ultimate success in your career. Um, so, yeah, it's relatively advice. smooth transition. Sage advice. I'm interested in uh, the relationship you shared with the teams. I mean, the only person I can think of who went to a World Cup and a Junior World Cup in the same year, or if not, I think he, or actually, I think he went to the Olympics. Nolsey went to the 2004 Olympics before he went to the Junior World Cup. I'm pretty sure. I know, that's crazy. Um, I mean, that's a different level entirely. Um, yeah. But how do you, because I know that, um, you know, some athletes might struggle going back into the junior role and kind of trying to be a little bit more than what um than what maybe they're capable of at that time and um mm. i'm not sure how was that experience for you yeah um i wasn't the only one doing that transition so obviously i grew up with the likes of anna flanagan jade warrender um georgia nan scorn um and I think Murphy Allendorf was also doing that transition at the time. So we had a few girls that were junior for the, within the hockey roos at mm. junior level, but also having um, at the top end of their junior age group representing at a World Cup. And so if you looked at our team on paper, we should have performed really well. Um, and as you said, I think that pressure of, performing at such a higher level because you're in the national team probably did affect us a lot. And so we didn't end up, I think, performing as well as we could have. Um, I think we ended up coming fifth. Um, I definitely think we had a medal winning team, but we did not gel like a medal winning team at the end of the day and lost a few points from countries that potentially we shouldn't have. Um, it was a great experience in the fact that it definitely tied up my junior career um, and I progressed on from that. But, yeah, as you said, it's so incredibly hard changing your mindset from being um, the junior player where you're just struggling to get by, just doing what you can and doing your role to um, being a senior and setting the standard and um, dictating, I guess, 
how the team plays and what's happening on the field. Um, I definitely struggled, I think. Um, and I don't think I even played very well. <laughs> I think it was also so tired from, I think we had a six week long World Cup tour for Hockey Roos and adding Com games into that as well. It was just such a high. Um, and then, yeah, following but that, we had Junior World Cup and so I was just, I think, at the end of a long year, very tired. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, I could imagine. Um, I want to talk about being away on tour now um, because obviously you've played 100, correct me if I'm wrong, but 183 games now for the Hoggers, which yeah. is a lot. Um, as you say, debuted in 2013 at the age of 20. So there's been a lot of hockey. Um, and I'm just interested to hear about your insights into being away on tour with the Hockey Roos, what it's like. Um, do you love it? And, uh, yeah, just tell me about it. I do. I do love it. Um, I, I'm not a, I'm homebody in the fact that when I'm home, I'm, like, always at home. I love being here, but I'm not attached to any type of environment. So I love going away and, and experiencing different cultures and being in different environments. Um, the biggest thing I struggle with is like I'm a clean freak and like super hygiene focused. <laughs> and, and so when we get into more difficult environments where possibly it's not to my hygiene standard, um, I really struggle and I get a lot of anxiety about having to acquiesce my hands all the time. <laughs> so this so, whole COVID thing has been like, not out of the normal range of no no i i actually think covid has made society a better place for me because people (laughs) don't come within the 1.5 which is great people are hygienic uh, people stay home when they're sick people wash their hands more regularly it's like uh, it's my i'm living in my dream um obviously people are dying so that's (laughs) um yeah the hygiene factor is really great um, yeah, so that's the only part of, I really struggled to adjust to is that different cultural standard in regards sure. to that. Um, and and I also in the probably, same room as someone as uh, well. Yes, yes. And I am a huge person. I love my alone time. I love yeah. that's when I recharge. That's when um, I get all of the benefits from a training week. If I can have a whole weekend by myself, that's like my dream. I just <laughs> love it so much. Um, or just being with my dogs. Um, and so, yeah, that challenged me a lot to start with is constantly being in a room with someone else and not having any private time for your, like, thoughts or just not talking. Um, and you definitely it's a struggle finding a, um, a roommate that gels with you on that level because initially you always have that, like, nervous banter where you're always having to fill the gap. Um, and until you create a relationship in a team where you're with someone, you can just sit in the room and not talk to them and it'd be perfectly fine. It really, I really struggled at the start. Um, so yeah, it was, it's definitely difficult on prolonged tours, but I think we're lucky in these days. And the fact that with the pro league set up, we're tr- changing countries all the time. So there's that constant different environment, uh, week to week. And you don't have the longer tournaments like we used to, like Champions Trophy, World Cup, Com Games, Olympics. Like you have a long build-up. You're not just there for the two weeks. You're usually there for the two weeks prior. So it ends up being a four-week long stint in the same room as someone in a really stuffy, windows-don't-open room. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, it's extremely difficult, but it's now my seventh year doing it. And so you, Mm. um, you almost prepare yourself 
mentally for that adjustment as well as you know what to take with you to calm you down, um, occupy yourself. I know you guys bring PlayStations and your whole coffee paraphernalia. Um, so I think, yeah, you learn to adjust um, your, I guess, habits to suit being in away for a long period of time. Mm. What do you take? Because obviously you can't take your dogs. Yeah, I know. No, I do take a lot of books now. Um, I'm happy with the invention of Netflix. That's really made life a lot better. Um, this is probably my first year I haven't had uni. So previously I, I was like very dedicated to my studies, probably too much. Um, and so every waking moment I would spend studying. And so this year would have been the first time I would have gone on tour and not studied. So I actually didn't get to experience that, um, which I was really looking forward to because I, I always got to see people go out and look at all the sites and stuff and I would be too paranoid about studying so I'd stay in my room and study. So, um, yeah, I was excited about this year, but fortunately that didn't happen. <laughs> I'm interested in this room, in the roomy thing, because often you have one roomy, so two of you in a room um yeah. for a whole tournament do you think it makes a difference to or can it make a difference to performance that kind of combination of people in a room yeah for sure you um i think even we have our psychs input in terms of who should room together just based on personality and um whether you're both personalities that um, fill each other's cup up which is terminology in terms of <laughs> that meaning that like you recharge each other rather than drain drain each other's cup and so um, we use that kind of analogy when you're mixing with each other make sure you're always filling someone else's cup up rather than um, pouring yours out on someone and so it's definitely a delicate balance um, who you room with and there's also a delicate balance of like getting to know everyone in your team because mm. especially in girls hockey and women's hockey an emotional connection with people in your team allows you to play better on the field um, I'm not sure if it translates to men's hockey, but definitely women's hockey, the better connection you have overall as a team and in, with individuals in the team, the better you perform. And so having that little snippet of um, time alone with each person builds that bond. Um, I'm probably the most difficult person to room with in the team, and I'm so happy to admit this because <laughs> it's not for, like, a bad reason. I don't find it a bad reason. Um, but because I'm so clean, like... I vacuum my house every day. Like I hate leaving the house if the bed's not made or everything's not in order or if there's like plates anywhere, anything. And I just love being clean and organised. And so a lot of girls get anxiety rooming with me because they're like, I think I roomed with Rosie um, Malone once and <laughs> she's like a bomb has exploded in her bag all the time and scatters everywhere else. But she was like, for the two weeks I roomed with you in the USA, I don't think I've ever been more paranoid about making sure none of my stuff was anywhere but in my bag. <laughs> I, was like, I had no idea she had that much paranoia. And she was like, I was just on edge all the time about making sure I was clean. And I told everyone I just I couldn't go out in case like you'd gone back to the room and I hadn't put something back. <laughs> I was like, oh, man. Um, and I think even one time... Uh, Catherine Slattery, I was rooming with her. We used to room together a lot. And one of our first roomings, um, she'd had a shower and I'm big on like putting the shower mat, like hanging it because I'm like, it's wet, it's gross, bacteria grows, yuck. 
And she didn't do that. And I like had walked in back into the room from getting a coffee and I looked into the bathroom and I looked at her and I was like, did you break your arms? She's like, what? And like looks at her and she's like, what do you, what do you, what happened? And I was like, well, the bath mat is on the ground. (laughs) (laughs) And so from then on, she was just like told everyone about it. And so I think everyone had like a distinct fear of rooming with me. Um, that's a good and as I said, it's not a bad quality. It's just um, I probably overdo it sometimes. And it's like it's a coping mechanism as well. Like gotcha. I find when I'm really, really nervous, I'll like repack my bag. I'll tidy everything in the room. Now that I'm back at home and we're playing club, I still get nervous for club. I'll like <laughs> back in the house before the game. <laughs> and so it's like a coping mechanism, I think, for me in the fact that that's how I release any anxiety I have. Would you ever extend to tidying up your roommates gear as well okay well um jackie day was on this interview (laughs) she used to be my housemate um yeah so every day pretty much she would go off to work and i wasn't working at this time i would like make her bed vacuum her room like put her things away and she'd come home and be like wow (laughs) (laughs) and uh, like she was probably the most tolerable person in the world because she allowed me to do it every day literally make her bed vacuum her room put away her clothes fold her clothes put them on the bed (laughs) that sounds incredible and you wouldn't mind that (laughs) like it wasn't like or would you hate doing that or would that bring you no no no. i love it i love it i love it wow Um, and people don't like rooming with you well i think it just like I guess if you didn't like your stuff being touched and what have you, it would be uh, like invasive. Um, whereas Jackie definitely. was, Jackie, um, who also used to, um, was playing for the Hockey for a while. Um, so yeah, she would go off to work and I would like, yeah, just make her room and make That's it all brilliant. pretty and organize everything for her. That's amazing. Do people know this like within the team? Because I can imagine like, I mean, I wouldn't be particularly paranoid if I knew that you would just tidy my stuff up anyway. I would probably just leave it, in, leave it anywhere. Yeah, no, because obviously um, Jackie was in the team at the time. And so, um, yeah, I think it was well known in the team at the time. Probably not the girls now. Um, but, yeah, it was definitely well known that I would tidy Jackie's room for her and stuff like that, um, which I never found a burden. It was like the greatest thing ever because um, uh, my room was always tidy. And so I never had something to tidy up. Mm. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. So um, to major tournaments as well. So you've been to two World Cups, two Commonwealth Games and an Olympics. Um, How is the rooming in those major tournaments? Is is it different? Does it kind of go up a notch? Do you struggle with it more there or? Uh, No. So in those major tournaments, you get your um, ideal roomie, I think you can call it like the person that you gel with the most, all the minor tournaments, you, that's when they get like to experiment and Mm. get a little crazy with their rooming, hence me rooming with Rosie Malone. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so, uh, yeah, during those tournaments, you get your ideal roomie, which for me, um, currently is Renee Taylor, who's another midfielder in the hockey ruse. Um, she just a bit like Jackie and the fact she just lets me do whatever and, yeah, tries to abide by all the rules um, as much as possible. So, yeah, no, she's really good at tolerating me. That's it for part A. See you soon for part B, where we talk a more holistic view of high performance, including some of the struggles that come with playing for the hockey ruse. We also talk life balance and what's next for Jane Claxton.